When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. Millie is here. Uh, I think Millie's in a better mood this year, though, so you'll hear a little bit less from her unless she has something really important to say. Uh, But we are, welcome to 2024, folks. Uh, It is February of 2024. That means college baseball season is just about here. And uh, if you're looking at Divisions other than Division One, uh, college baseball has already arrived in Division Two and the junior colleges. But here we're focusing on on Division One, and we've got a lot to talk about. We're excited to be back on the podcast for the new year. Uh, we released the Baseball America preseason top twenty-five. Uh, the the All Americans uh, conference previews are starting. Like we are, we are deep in the the heart of preview season, Peter. Uh, opening day, fast approaching. It's a time of year that is very exciting. Uh, it's still winter, but it's really easy to imagine the what what is to come this spring and into the summer. Uh, those those hot Omaha days that everybody plays for will be here soon enough, uh, and we are just free to imagine what what might be. That's uh, that's what makes the the start of the season so exciting. Uh, for a time, and then I I give up, and I I just want to watch games played. But we're not there yet, Peter. We can still uh, we can still dream, and and that's that's a little bit about what the the preseason is for, and certainly the the preseason top twenty five. Yeah, without a doubt. As I look out my window right now onto a uh, it is a gray thirty degree Massachusetts day, but the fact that there's going to be Division One college baseball played in about really two weeks from when this is released, um, it could not have me more fired up. And as you said, it's a clean slate for everyone. There's hope. Um, there are new expectations. And, and like you said, it, it goes by in a flash. And I know before I know it, I will be making a long walk, hopefully not as long as last year, walk to uh, <laughs> Charles Schwab Stadium in what is sure to be the blistering heat. But there's a lot of talent in college baseball this year. I know when we were 
when we were making our top 25 rankings, there were a lot of tough calls um, on who to include and where to include them. And I think it's just going to be a really, really fun year. You obviously have the favorites at the top, as you always do. But, I mean, in writing about these teams and, and going through them in depth, like there's an argument really for any of these clubs as to why they're going to crack that Omaha ceiling or make it back to Omaha um and and they could they could a lot of them could make really deep runs so make sure to check out the uh the top 25 over at baseballamerica.com or in uh in the baseball america college preview issue which is uh, uh we sent to the sent to press uh hopefully subscribers will have it soon it's uh it's got oregon state on the cover first time that they've been on a cover uh for the college preview issue in close to 20 years which is uh kind of crazy um that their their back-to-back national championships were coming up on the 20th anniversary of those in in a couple of years but the uh i i like the cover i like the issue so if you're so inclined you can order single copies over at baseballamerica.com uh if you're not already a subscriber and if you are a subscriber you can uh check that uh, you know, the, the options for, for subscribing over at baseballamerica.com as well. Um, while we're, while we're on housekeeping, I guess, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the baseball America podcast feed on your favorite podcasting app, Spotify, Apple podcasts, um, wherever you get your podcasts. I recently had to find a new podcast app because Stitcher shut down. So, uh, you know, plenty of options out there for you and we are available on all of them. Uh, so as we get rolling here this spring and Peter and I uh, get in our weekly recording habit, uh, please make sure you are subscribed so that you can uh, follow along all season. Um, Peter, I guess uh, that's enough preamble. Let's uh, let's get was, into this. I was going to say, oh, go ahead. Eight, on the cover front, 80 grade cover uh, for my money's worth. And I went on last night, actually, I was going to buy one for my grandma and i was sold out oh we so, sold out already well I, there you go yeah so thank you to everyone who <laughs> bought it uh if uh, they're sure to be on the shelves uh wherever you you get your your various publications but on the website right now if you go on to buy it uh you might you might strike out but thank you to everyone who's bought it um the cover is unbelievable and like teddy said the 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 preview content itself is also fantastic so thank you guys very much Shouts to the Beavers fans. Uh, the cover, <laughs> the no cover, at, as as Peter said, it's uh, it's it's a great cover. It's Travis Bazana. It's Gavin Turley. Um, it's uh, it's it's a really nice looking cover. And uh, I, from my understanding, I, I don't have the photographer's name in front of me, and that's my bad. But it's the same photographer that shot the uh, the Adley Rutschman cover on the draft preview issue from five years ago now. So, um, which I, is the actual last time. Oregon State appeared on the cover, but that cover was was awesome as well. So uh, we, uh, we 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 love the Oregon State uh, covers that that we're able to uh, to create the last few years. They've been uh, they've been they've been fantastic. The content in, inside is fantastic. Uh, yeah, we love the magazine, right? You know, like that's uh, that's part of the joy here is that you get to actually pick up something physical. Um, I was recently like cleaning out some stuff. At, um, my uh my from my parents house and i found like this old like college football preview uh magazine i'd had from like 2003 or 2004 and you know like stuff like that you know it, it, it's cool that we we still are producing something like that on the baseball side 
without a doubt i it's funny i was doing a similar room clean out um and i used to when i was little i used to always get the uh one i found some very old baseball america prospect handbooks that i was gifted when i was like 12 which was very funny there was one with please Corey don't say Seager what year the, they are with Cor- there's one with Corey <laughs> Seager on the cover uh, and I forget what else. And then also the ESPN almanacs that they would uh, come out with every year where it was just stats on stats. And I remember yes. staying up late when I was little late being like 1030 and, and reading it with the light on in my room and sticking like a towel under the crack of the door. So my mom wouldn't know I was awake. So uh, good nostalgia trip. There is uh, something special and cool about that physical copy. So we're glad we're able to still provide that feeling. Absolutely. Well, let's dive into the top 25. And I think the appropriate place to start is at the top. Wake Forest is number one in the preseason top 25. That's where they finished the regular season. It's not where they finished the final poll. We we do come out with one of those after Omaha. Uh, so Wake Forest is number one. They have never before been number one in uh, in the preseason rankings. So this is a this is a first for, for the Deeks. It wasn't totally clear cut to me anyway, that, that Wake Forest should be number one. I view this as a top tier of the t- the top four teams, Wake, LSU, Arkansas, and Florida, which is the order that we, we chose them in. But honestly, if you picked any other order for those four teams, I think you can defend it. I, I think for, for me, what put Wake Forest over the top was the star power. Uh, we're talking about a team that has like four or five guys that have first round aspirations this year. And, you know, that, that speaks volumes. Uh, We're talking about a team that was number one in the nation in pitching a year ago. And while they lost a lot, Rhett Lauder is gone and Rhett Lauder was the best pitcher in program history. uh, They also return a lot of those same guys. and, And we really trust their pitching staff to be high end again. So those are kind of the things that put it over the top for me. But like, I, I think you can point to a number of things that, that Wake Forest does really well. Uh, Peter, what, what, what ha- you were probably a little more convicted on Wake than I was at number one. Um, you know, what, what, what was it about Wake Forest that stood out for you? Yeah, when, when we hopped on the call, it was a little bit unlike last year where it, we were pretty dead set on LSU at one and then where everyone else was going to fall. Um, there were talks of, as, as you said, of each of these top four teams um, after Wake, LSU, Arkansas, Florida, even Oregon State as being the potential number one overall team. Um, but like you said, they after they lost, I mean, I mean, they lost a lot of talent from last year's team with uh, Rhett Lauder, Brock Wilkin, Tommy Hawk. They had ten draft picks, um, and that's very difficult to replace. But Coach Walter and his staff went back into the portal and reloaded and and really loaded up at that. And they've also got a, a key core of returners. I think. For me, that rotation is one of, if not the best in the America, in America, with Chase Burns, Josh Hartle, and Michael Massey. Like there is an argument there that any of those three could take home ACC Pitcher of the Year honors, and especially with Burns and Hartle, that they could take home National Pitcher of the Year honors. And then looking at that lineup up at the top, Seaver King, a transfer from Wingate, he's really blown up over the last. I don't know, six to eight months. He performed really well on the Cape, had a great fall for the Deeks. They're going to let him run around in center field, which is going to be a lot of fun, I think. He's super athletic, just tooled out. Nick Kurtz is one of the best pure hitters in the country. And then I think 
looking up the middle, especially on the left side of the infield, I like these additions in the off season and when they happen, I think tend to get overlooked. But when a team is dogpiling in Omaha or they come up with a huge win or a big series win, whatever it might be, these are the guys that that kind of help get it done. And that that guy for me is Ball State transfer Adam Tellier. He'll be the everyday third baseman, but again, he's a utility guy where they can stick him, I think, anywhere on the diamond, and they'd feel pretty good about him him holding his own. I know at Ball State, that's how they used him. He added some thump with the bat. He's got good feel for the barrel. He's just a really good baseball player. Um, and then also Merrick Houston, outstanding defender. He's a plus defender from this chair at shortstop, made a couple of really good plays in Omaha. The bat was a little behind last year. He had a good summer, had a really good fall. If he can take a step forward and provide some security after uh, Kurtz and King, I think that's going to go a a really long way. And then also in the bullpen, they lose from last year. Like there's no doubt they lose guys with Manassi at the back end. And then also they were dealt a little bit of a blow earlier this week when it was announced uh, Cole Rowland would be out, I think, until April. Uh, but they did pick up Maryland transfer David Falco, who's very experienced and has a track record of performance. And then there are a couple of freshmen they're bullish on as well. So they're, they lost talent, but that star power up at the top, I think, is unmatched by any team in the country. And it's pretty clear that they were not satisfied in the slightest with with last year's result. And by all accounts, it was one of the best the best seasons in program history. They won a I think a program breast fifty four games. They they broke that Omaha drought, but I mean they are all business coming into this year. They're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. They not only want to get back to Omaha, and they, but they I mean they want to win it. So. Uh, I am I'm very fired up about the Deeks, and I think they were my preseason national championship pick as well. I believe that's who you picked. I don't honestly know when we're putting that on the website, but uh, sneak preview. Peter picked uh, Wake. I picked LSU. We have LSU number two, and you know the the Tigers obviously are are trying to go back to back. They lost you know in in Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens the two best players in the country the top two picks in the draft uh Skeens was player of the year for us Cruz won golden spikes uh you know Trey Morgan is gone Jordan Thompson is gone Ty Floyd is gone they lost an awful lot I still honestly think that one through 35 one through 40 one through 30 however you want to draw it up I think it's the deepest roster in the country and that's why Despite those losses, I feel really good about LSU. Last year, the thing with LSU was nobody had more star power than they did. And this year, I think, again, like we said, I think that's Wake. And I think that was kind of a deciding factor for me. But I I don't, first of all, LSU is not lacking on star power. It starts with Tommy White, um, one of the biggest stars in the game and a guy you can build an offense around. You look at the, the rotation. You know, you're bringing in Luke Holman, who was, you know, the number one starter for a super regional team a season ago at Alabama. Uh, You know, you've got Thatcher Hurd, who started and won game three of the College World Series. You're adding Gage Jump from UCLA, and he was injured last year, so you didn't really see the best of Gage Jump, but he might be the best of that trio. Like, that's not an an outlandish uh, outcome. You've still got Jared Jones. You've still got like that insane catching room of Malazzo, Travinsky, and Neal. Uh, you added Michael Braswell from South Carolina and Mac Bynum from Arizona. Like I, I just think that 
it, it's a really deep team. Uh, the bullpen is incredible. It's going to look different this year. Last year, the charge levied against LSU when things were not going well was that the pitching staff was too Paul Skeens dependent, which was never like totally true. However, like I don't think that you're going to look up and say like, oh, it's all just one pitcher this year. Like I don't think anybody's going to be able to say that. I, I, I think that the, the pitching staff has a lot more depth this year, uh, which I think is going to help them because the offense last year was exceptional. And this year, I think it's probably only going to be really good. Um, you know, what what they lost is is truly going to be difficult to replace. Uh, but I, I think that the pitching staff has more depth, which will help make up for the fact that the offense is not probably not world beating this year. Still going to be really good. Jay Johnson has an incredible track record for coaching good offenses. But like, I don't think that it's uh, it, it's going to be able to match what they did a season ago. Yeah, that rotation, I think you can make an argument for as good as last year's team was and for as good as that pitching staff ended up being once it rounded into form. Um, it's arguably more deep and more well-rounded than it was last year, especially gauge jump is a huge X factor for me because he's a low mileage arm, but from the stuff I saw this fall and from what I've heard, um, he was one of, if not the best arm on the staff, and he's got the stuff to boot. I think he's wherever he ends up pitching, whether it's on Saturdays or Sundays, I think it'll be on Saturdays. Um, he's, he could be a, a big time force as a starting pitcher in the sec and Tommy white's going to lead the lineup. There are two guys also in there that I'm particularly excited to see. One is Paxton Kling tooled out center fielder successor to Dylan Cruz out there, which are impossible shoes to fill, but he's got the tool set to be a top two round guy. He can run. He's a good athlete. He's got some thump at the bat. And then also Jake Brown, um, he kind of lit the world on fire this fall and there were rave reviews at a Baton Rouge and he has a chance to be a big time contributor from day one. And then you also, you mentioned their bullpen depth as well with, with guys like Nate Ackenhaus and Gavin Gidry, who was excellent in Omaha and, and same with Griffin Herring. So like they're number two, but I mean, there's, I mean, they're going to be right there all year as, as one of, if not the best teams in the country. Now you mentioned Dylan Cruz having really difficult shoes to fill. Is that because he was as one of the one of the biggest cleat heads in college baseball? Is, is that what we're referring his, to here? His cleat game was sick. It was no joke. But and also like he is a once in a I don't want kind of generational talent in college baseball. So uh, that too. Yeah, that is uh, like him and Skeens. You're not going to see that again anytime soon. Uh, and, and that is a concern, obviously, both at the front of the rotation and at the heart of the order. But I, I just think the depth is better this year and that that will help make up for some of the lack of star power. We got Arkansas three. Arkansas led by Hagen Smith, who was uh, the SEC only names two starting pitchers to their all SEC teams. Skeens obviously took one of those spots a year ago. Smith was the other one. And so he's back. Uh, the on the, the among the first teamers, uh, all SEC anyway. So Hagen Smith, he can do so much for that team. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna lead the rotation this year, and then the the lineup looks a little bit different. Uh, I, I I should not skip over the rest of the rotation. The rest of the rotation is is quite good as well. Brady Tigert, who pitched well upon returning from injury last season, he he projects to be in the rotation. And, as well as Texas Tech transfer Mason Molinas. So, I mean, we're talking about a really high-end rotation. You've got in Hagen-Smith, a potential first-round pick, a likely first-round pick, and then two other really 
impressive, experienced pitchers behind him. Uh, and then the the lineup looks different this year. They lost some guys, but the thing about Arkansas is that uh, they have just been so consistent offensively. They have a, a really good plan. Uh, Nate Thompson does a good job coaching those hitters, uh, and they they I just trust them to be good offensively. Uh, they hit the portal well. And I, I think that with their pitching staff, they aren't going to need to score a million runs. Uh, but I, I do think that they have, uh, you know, a, they, they still have a lineup that, that is going to be capable of, uh, of carrying the load when it needs to. Yeah. And when talking about the best weekend rotations in the country, at least on paper leading into the season, you've got Wake, LSU, Iowa obviously is right there. And then I think you, I mean, Arkansas deserves to be mentioned in that same breath, I think. And, and you hit on it with with Smith, Tiger, and Molina. Tiger's got great stuff. Hagen Smith is Hagen Smith. Everyone knows what he's about at this point. And then Molina in the back end, great track record at Texas Tech. True five pitch mix. He's a strike thrower. He's got a bulldog mentality on the mound. That's a great guy that you want to have the. I mean, he's a great guy to have the ball in his hands when you're looking to to win a big game, win a big series, and a decisive game three. Um, I think that you're going to feel really confident when he's on the bump for you. And then in the lineup, I like that trio, as you mentioned, Vahiva Aloy, that's the guy I'm most excited about. He was outstanding at Sacramento state as a true freshman, legit power, good hit power combination. Hell is defense was a little inconsistent at shortstop. It got better as the year went on. Um, I think a lot of that was just adding polish and, and gaining experience. And then, Wilmsmeyer and, and and Hudson White as well are a couple of other key transfers. So I, I think, as you said, Coach Thompson will get the most out of the off, offense. And if this pitching staff can live up to its depth and and perform well, I, I, I think that this team is rightfully has national championship aspirations. I'm really bullish on Wilmsmeyer. You know, you talked about, uh, you know, sometimes in, in the transfer portal, things go under the radar. And, and you mentioned that for Adam Tellier at, uh, at Wake Forest. And, you know, I, I feel like Wilmsmeyer uh, moving from Mizzou to Arkansas can be that kind of guy. Like he's a, he's a really good defender in center field. He's a really good base runner. He had some speed, a, a speed component to a lineup that, you know, probably could use it uh, has often been a little more power based, but you know, he can do a little, do something a little different there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just really excited to see him, in an Arkansas uniform. Uh, I, I, he was definitely overlooked. I overlooked him at Mizzou last year, but I, I think that that's going to be a really important addition for the, for the hogs this spring. Yeah. He is their Adam Tellier underrated transfer of the year award winner. Um, and like you said, like you can hit him anywhere in the lineup. You can hit him in the top third, have him as a leadoff guy. You can hit him in the the bottom third, almost as a second leadoff guy and, and rejuvenate the order. He's going to add a lot of length to it and, his fingerprints are going to be all over the box score night in and night out, I think. So the fourth team we talked about is the uh, you know, kind of the top tier. It's Florida, uh, last year's national runner-up. It all starts with Jack Heglione. I think everyone knows what that's about at this point. 33 home runs a year ago. you know, And, and as important as he is to their lineup, I think it's also massive that they have him back uh, in the rotation because – uh, they lost Sprout, they lost Waldrop, their top two starters from a season ago. So with Cags back, uh, they they do return a guy who was a 
a, a successful SEC starter. Uh, you know, we, we spent some time on this podcast last year talking about like, do they need to move him to the bullpen? Like, do they need to do something else or that or, or the other? And like, well, I mean, they got to college world series finals with him as, as a, as a regular starter. So having that guy back is significant. Having Brandon Neely back at the bullpen is really significant. He's one of the best closers uh, in the country. And then this offense is uh, is still going to be pretty darn good despite losing Wyatt Laneford and BT Ryapel and Josh Rivera. Um, Cade Curlin's back. Uh, you know, Cags is obviously really important here. They added Colby Shelton uh, as a transfer from Alabama. He was a freshman All-American a year ago. Um, Luke Heyman had a really nice freshman season. More is going to be asked of him now. Uh, it's just a really talented all-around uh, Florida team, I feel like. Yeah, and that lineup's going to be able to roll five to six deep. Um, you mentioned Shelton. He hit 25 home runs at Bama last year, was their primary third baseman. They trotted him out at shortstop um, at Florida this fall, and the I mean, the the returns were pretty positive with how he was able to transition and handle the position. So, unintentional rhyme there. Um, but if, if he does that during the season, it's going to go a really long way. And you mentioned the rotation. Obviously, with Caglione, it starts there. I'm really encouraged with, like, because during the year last year, there was no doubt, and we were talking about it all year on the podcast, that he was, again, kind of this this generational talent. But, you know, on the, especially on the pitching side, there were inconsistencies there. And the overall stat line for the year was was pretty darn good, but um, the, it, it could have been better. And there were he cleaned up over the offseason some of the things that were bugaboos for him. He tightened up his delivery. It's more compact changed the arm slot a little bit. Um, he's always been a really good mover on the mound, but he's been up to 101 this fall. The command and control were allegedly better. The The slider is has continued to get better, and and say, so has that cutter. And then his changeup is, is a legit plus pitch. So if he can be around the zone more, um, up his competitive pitch rate, uh, it's, I mean, the, the stat line that he could, could end up with this year is video game-like. And then maybe my favorite arm on the staff, which is crazy to say, given that Jack Caglione is a six, five lefty who's up to one Oh one with uh, potentially two plus secondaries um, is another lefty and sophomore Cade Fisher. I was really impressed with him all of last year. He had a couple of good appearances in Omaha, slow heartbeat type of kid is not, uh, not afraid to get the ball in a big moment. Fastball's been, Low 90s, up to a four, I think. Um, good changeup slider combo. He's a strike thrower. He's always around the zone. Generates soft contact. I think that's a perfect guy to to headline the rotation heading into the 2024 season. And then Liam Peterson, blue chip freshman, big time draft interest out of high school. Could assign if he wanted to. It was like top two to three round type interest. Fastball up to 98. Curveball is another plus off speed pitch. Um, if again, if he can throw strikes on a consistent basis and command the baseball, um, this is again, a, an ultra dangerous rotation and a lineup, um, that's going to be able to hit with anyone. I think in the same stroke, if we keep mentioning underrated transfers, um, a potentially underrated one for me on Florida is Brody Denae, uh, from Virginia tech. He, if Jack Caglione was not on the roster, he would have the most raw power of anyone on the team, without a doubt. Uh, I saw it on the Cape this summer, especially in BP. 
it is double plus, and he's got a bazooka behind the dish as well. The d- overall defensive skill set needs some polishing, um, but the arm strength is double plus. Uh, it's just a matter of getting him fundamentally sound. I think that he will probably be the team's secondary catcher, maybe just the primary DH with um, Luke Heyman and then Coastal transfer Tanner Garrison handling most of the duties, but um, if they stick him back there, he's going to he's gonna show off a plus-plus arm, but I think that if he's there every day, DH or, or DH is most of the time, there's 15 to 20 home run upside if he just cleans up the approach a little bit. Yeah, Florida has a little bit of a challenge here. They have more bats than they have spots, I feel like. you know, And I, I think that's part of why Shelton is playing shortstop. They don't really – I, I don't know what the right answer at shortstop is, and we'll see if, if he's able to, to make that – you know, Josh Rivera was a really good defender. And uh, so those are some big shoes to fill. And then, you know, with Cags being uh, as, as good as he is, obviously he's not leaving the lineup at, at any point. So then you've got Heyman and Dene, And then it's like, well, is either of them going to be good enough defensively to fill in for, to, to take over for Ryapel behind the plate? And so that's where Tanner Garrison comes in. But if Tanner Garrison catches, then somebody has to not play or maybe somebody goes to left field. Like, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch Florida work through this lineup stuff early on. You know what I projected. I don't know that I, I don't know what to expect uh, by the time sec play starts. I think that some of this is just going to have to, to shake itself out. Um, you know, once you actually get into live competition and and in some ways that's exciting because, you know, you've got a lot of options and in some ways that's a little scary because right now it's like, well, how good defensively is this team going to be? Uh, traditionally, Florida is one of the better defensive teams out there. You know, Sully likes to build around pitching and defense and, you know, just looking at this and I'm seeing a lot of like really offensive players in up the middle spots, which I don't know. We'll see how it works out. And uh, maybe that's just where, where they're going to be this year. Uh, and they're going to have to strike some more guys out or, or, or score some more runs to make up for some of this. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. Peter, I, this is something I have not prepped you for, but it is something I've been thinking about a lot. Last year, if you look at the top five, uh, we don't even have to like go down to Louisville at fifth, which uh, continues to confuse me what happened to Louisville last year. Uh, but Tennessee was supposed to be the foil to LSU last year. And ultimately the Vols made it to Omaha and they were a really good team, but it took them a long time to get there. And, you know, you go back uh, and you look at what happened to Mississippi state and Ole Miss over the last two years after winning national championships. And I don't know, I just have been thinking a lot about like, what is it about these teams that are really good that have expectations coming into the year and then don't live up to them. You know, you can look at like big time glue guys that that have been lost. You know, um, Tennessee lost uh, lost some of that uh, a season ago and, and had to refine itself as a team with uh, so many guys moving on into pro ball. Think about Tim Elko leaving Ole Miss, Dylan DeLuca uh, leaving Ole Miss after winning the national championship. And how do you replace that leadership? And, you know, Tanner Allen at, at Mississippi State kind of fits that as well. So. I don't know which one of these top four teams is going to have a Tennessee-esque season, but I really think one of them is going to. And I think all of them are candidates for it because 
all of them lost somebody like some big time program guy, you know, like Rhett Louder and Brock Wilkin were big time guys for Wake Forest and, and really meant something in that locker room. And, you know, Skeens and Cruz, what, what they meant leadership wise and Ryapel and Rivera and, and, and Laneford. And, and, you know, th- these teams all have those guys that, that have been lost now. And I'm just curious to see how everyone is able to, uh, you know, th- this is the hardest thing to figure out from the outside is like, what's the leadership going to look like and how much does that matter? But I do think, you know, if you look historically, probably one of these four teams is, is going to have a little bit of a confusing, at least start to the season. And they might have to dig themselves out of a hole like Tennessee did last year. And I think some of that reasoning might be that they lost leadership. They lost glue guys. You know, we can like marvel at, Oh, this is what they brought in in the transfer portal or like, look at their freshmen, look at how good they are. But it's like, yeah, but you still have to replace that, that stuff in the locker room, that stuff that we never get to see. uh, But we know to be important. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting yet ominous point because I you're a hundred percent right and in, in going through each of these four teams that we've talked to so far, you can circle at least one, probably two, sometimes even three guys that are gonna be big losses both in what they brought on the field and then also in the dugout and in the and in the locker room from a leadership standpoint. And you didn't ask me to, but if I had to pick one, um it it might be the Gators. And that's not to say that they're not going to end up in Omaha at season then because that's what Tennessee did. But I think that with what they have to replace um, and then also kind of this reshuffling a little bit, it could take them a bit longer to hit their stride. I have no doubt that they will hit their stride. Um, It might just come a little bit later in the season. Then also Arkansas could be another team. They lost two thirds of the regulars from last year's lineup. Um, they do have a great rotation. I'm just interested to see what they look like offensively. Um, I mean, you could go again, you could kind of go to all four of these teams and, and make that argument wake, maybe a little less so, but LSU, they lose the one, two punch literally of Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz. Like, you know, it, there are quite for as good as these teams are, there are, there are question marks. There aren't very many holeless teams, so to speak. I think, and not to segue to the fifth ranked team, but Oregon State might be the most stable of of these five, at least coming into the year. Yeah, I I too am most concerned about Florida. You know, Brandon Sprout was just like he just had so much longevity at the front of the rotation. And, you know, you had Ryapel, um, you know, who like that guy's impact, just like his his feel for big moments and his his leadership behind the plate. It's like that, that stuff's really hard to quantify. And you had like a fourth year shortstop and Wyatt Laneford is like a big leaguer basically in, in your, in your outfield. And I like that. That's part of the reason why we have them ranked fourth, frankly, is that, you know, I, I, I do have a little bit of worry about that. Like not like keeping me up at night kind of worry, but like if we're, if we're going to split hairs, I'm, I'm a little, I'm I'm interested to see, but like you said, Peter, I mean, like there's no reason to think that like Florida won't be able to course correct. You're talking about a guy in Kevin O'Sullivan who has plenty of experience and knows how to pull the right trigger in the middle of the season. Uh, and, and Tennessee did that last year. I just do think that probably one of these is, is going to take a little bit of a, a slip because yes, they did a really good job of reloading, but you just, that chemistry, that leadership piece 
is really hard. Even if you are in the, like from the outside, it's basically impossible to evaluate, but even if you are inside, uh, it's really hard to know until you get into game action and until you take like a bad loss, like you don't know how your team's going to respond. And so that's something to watch uh, with all of these teams. And, you know, like you said, Peter, there are no holeless teams out there. We're kind of exiting a, a mini era of college baseball where it felt like there were teams that did, just didn't have holes uh, because they were able to return so many guys because they were able to be so old, uh, you know, internally because of that extra year from the 2020 cancellation. Uh, there are still guys playing out their last year or, you know, using that extra year in college baseball, but there are a lot fewer of them now. And uh, so turnover is just back to being what is expected in college baseball. And uh, how you manage that is, uh, is back to being a critical uh, component of, of being a, a coach in college baseball in, in 2024. We'll move on. We'll talk about uh, some more teams here in the, uh, in the top 10 and beyond just in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Peter, you mentioned Oregon State. They are our cover team. We can spend some time uh, discussing the Beavers, the Pac-12 favorites. It's, uh, it, it's a really intriguing team when you look at uh, an experienced rotation. Uh, Jacob Kamatz, Jaron Hunter, Aiden May, uh, and uh, a really nice lineup uh, headlined by Travis Bazana, who has the upside to be the first overall pick in the draft. Uh, it would be a little bit of an unusual pick if it is Bazana, he being a second baseman. 
but and an Australian to boot. But uh, he's got that upside. They've got quality and experience around him. Uh, there's a reason why they're they're the clear Pac-12 favorite. Yeah, and you talk about leadership. Bazana had like Bazana is that team's captain, and he has been even even since he was a true freshman. Like he is a guy that when he opens his mouth and when he talks, everyone listens, and he is he is rallying everyone behind him. I saw it this summer. I had the privilege of seeing it this summer in a summer ball setting. Even he was the most vocal guy in the dugout, the most vocal guy in the field, always encouraging his teammates, encouraging his pitcher. And it wasn't this eyewash like chatter that he knew scouts were watching. He was trying to beef up his beef up his makeup grade. Like that's who he is. And he's an absolute sicko competitor. And I mean that in the best way. Like he is not satisfied with, from a team standpoint and an individual standpoint being anything but the best. Uh, we, I think this is what you told me. Um, he drafted up presentations like for the pitching staff on how to maximize their arsenals and, and brought them in and, and, and talked to them. Like he is all in and there is no better guy to build your team around than Bazana. And on top of the intangibles that he brings, he's an unbelievable talent. He is one of, the best pure hitters in the country. I, I really, really like him. Like for as good as JJ Weatherholt is, oh, it's tough to say you're a better pure hitter than JJ Weatherholt, but he is going to be able to go toe to toe with Weatherholt. I, I haven't seen anyone dominate the Cape like Bazana did. Um, he can hit for average power. He affects the game in just so many ways. Like he is, if you have the chance to watch him in person, I have not spoken to anyone that has not come away absolutely blown away by this kid and if the beavers get back to omaha for the first time since they won the national title um in 2018 he is he's going to be a huge reason why but not to make it the travis bazana show around him again you mentioned it you have this really valuable blend of experience and fresh faces in the outfield especially i'm a i'm a big fan of of how they're going to look on the grass you've got micah mcdowell Brady Casper and Gavin Turley Turley for you talk about Bazana this year in the draft Turley next year has one of the loudest tool sets. I think of any player in the country, he got off to a tough start last year, actually got off to a great start, but then he sputtered a little bit. And then he ended the year as one of the most hot hitters in the country. Um, he's a, if he can put together a full season, that's going to really help McDowell and Casper. I have little doubt that they're going to produce again. Mason Guerra at first, he had 326 last year. Uh, he's a right-handed power bat. And then I think on the on the left side of the infield, it's going to be two newcomers, but I, I, I really like how they're going to look. At third, they'll have Trent Carraway, who is one of the more highly touted, maybe the most highly touted freshman in the country. Um, he has the ability with the bat to be – Pac-12 freshman of the year and in that national freshman of the year conversation. He's that good. And then Washington State transfer Elijah Hainline. The Beavers didn't dip into the transfer portal a whole lot. But Hainline, I think he could be the straw that stirs the drink. Kind of that Adam Tellier, Ty Wilmsmeyer. He's a little more um, prospecty than those two guys. But Hainline at short. He hit really well at Washington State last year. He plays the game fast. He like how he plays in that play style, he's going to fit in seamlessly into that lineup. And then 
the overarching theme of the offense, they return 63 of 89, just under 71% um, of their home runs from 2023, 92 of 127 of their doubles, and 75 of their 89 stolen bases. Like the whole team is back. And then on the mound, Jacob Kamatz, workhorse frame strike thrower, Jaron Hunter again. He was really good last year. And then the biggest X factor and the guy who could end up being the best arm on the staff is Aiden May. You look at the back of the baseball card numbers, and they were they're rather modest, but mid-90s fastball, shape needs to improve, but the slider has plus potential. And then going to the bullpen, I, I really like the weapons they have with lefty Nelson Keljo, Ian Lawson's back, so is A.J. Lattery. And then again, you talk about this experience, they bring in former Cal Poly uh, pitcher Kyle Scott, who's going to handle the closer role and um, he's a mature veteran presence who, who shouldn't be two phased. So when you're talking about like holist teams, Oregon state might fit the bill, um, of they might fit the bill to it more to a T more than anyone in the top five. Yeah. I mean, the, the depth that, that Oregon state can run out there in all areas of the the team is is quite impressive and and you mentioned about may like if you just look at the stats they're not going to be super impressive but you do also have to consider that you know beyond his actual ability which is important uh but he's now moving from one of the more hitter friendly environments tucson to one of the more pitcher friendly environments in corvallis so you know if if you just like don't even improve at all with your new coaching staff, you just like do the same thing or whatever, you're going to get some better results just based on not having to play half of your games uh, in Tucson. And I do think he's gotten better uh, over the last year. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to, to see what they can do. But you also have to, when, when we're talking about Oregon State, I mean, you talk about chip on your shoulder. Uh, you know, this is a team that, is being left behind as the Pac-12 disintegrates and, you know, next year is going to play an independent schedule, they're going to want to win the Pac-12 on their way out. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think that motivation is never going to be a concern for Oregon State this year, no matter how things are going. And, you know, you mentioned Bazana's leadership, and, and that's a part of it too. But, like, you also just have this whole, like, thing baked in that um, Oregon State as a university is playing with the a chip on their shoulder all year. And, and I think that you know, baseball is going to be the last PAC 12 championship awarded just based on the calendar. Uh, so Oregon state really could close the conference down with, with the title, or at least this version of the conference. We don't, we don't yet know what the PAC 12 is going to be, but there's at least going to be a break here. Minimally there's a break coming in the conference history and they are uh, there. They have a chance to, to end the era um, with a, with a trophy in their hands. We could keep going team by team here. Uh, I think actually, well, let's go one more team, team by team before I, I say that we're not going to do that anymore. And let's talk a little TCU, the big 12 favorites. Um, this is a team that went to Omaha last year that in May, like starting May of last year was basically a 500 baseball team uh, and then got crazy hot down the stretch and went off, won a regional at Arkansas, then won a super regional, and then won a couple games in Omaha to to make it to the semifinals. They were a, they, they were on the younger side last year. They played a lot of freshmen. So those guys are back, Anthony Silva, Carson Bowen, Cole Klecker, uh, most notably. And that's going to help them. 
they added Peyton Tole, uh, who was an All-American two-way player last year at Wichita State. So that's going to be a big addition. And then, I, I mean, I think that they have a, a pretty well-rounded team around those guys. Uh, I'm interested to see how the freshmen do or the now sophomores do now that a little more is going to be expected from them starting from opening day. They are now more like the leaders of the team and certainly the uh, the best players on the team in, in, in many respects. So I, that is a little bit of a, like, how is that going to going to play? But I, I just think that the TCU has a, has a really strong overall uh, group, both in the lineup and on the mound. Yeah. And in many ways last year, they were a little head, a little ahead of schedule. You talk about the, those trio of freshmen, now sophomores, um, or I guess quartet, you've got Bowen, Anthony Silva is one of the best defensive shortstops in the country. He made one really impressive play that will probably stick with me for a long time. When, when we were in Omaha, it was against Oral Roberts. It was the top of the fourth inning ranged way up the middle slid popped up and fired a strike to first base all in in one motion i was like whoa uh and then cole klecker he got the ball game one in omaha and a belt is he's a lot like probably better i mean definitely better now but he's a lot like what river ridings was as a true freshman for the horn frogs um but i think a belt is even better and he is a really uncomfortable look for opposing hitters uh he is a one of if not the best arms on the staff and then again you talk about that leadership i love what they brought in with peyton tolley on both sides of the baseball uh, on the mound and at the plate and then Chatonier from ole miss is i think he's a fun player like he's he's gonna really push the pace um and i i think be kind of a ball of energy that that guys feed off of and then somehow Curtis Byrne is back again, uh, who's also going to factor into the lineup. I think he's one of the, one of the last few uh, COVID guys still kicking around, but it's a wealth of experience. They've got young star power. They know how to win. They know what it takes to get to the college world series. Like there's a reason why um, this team's the big 12 favorite. And I think that, you know, they've, they've got the talent to one, get back to Omaha and potentially win the national title like they return a lot they added a lot um it's it's going to be a really really good team down in fort worth yeah and i i think that uh the experience that they got at the end of last season is going to be really significant for them as well that having that postseason success probably they can just build on that momentum rather than um you know it, it's obviously better to have that than not but i i, I do think the way that they ended last season shows what the the potential is for for them and and probably just helps them uh continue rolling along rather than having to reset completely with the uh the start of a new season overall this top 25 that we released the preseason top 25 looks a lot like the final top 25 from last year there's a different order but a lot of the teams that you saw in omaha are right back into the top 10, which is not uncommon, but also not common. I have not run the numbers to find out exactly like how, how rare, what, what we're looking at this year is, but Peter, I just, I am struck and have been struck for a couple of months now by how well the, uh, the top teams from a year ago just went about their business of reloading. Uh, you know, you're looking at 
ACC reigning champion Wake Forest being uh, number one. Uh, you're looking at however you want to define the best team in the SEC last year, like Florida and Arkansas shared the regular season title by a half game over LSU. And those t- three teams are two, three, and four. You know, TCU did not win the Big 12 last year. The Big 12 was a bit of a mess, but TCU didn't win it. What they did win was the Big 12 tournament. And here they are in the top 10. And, uh, you know, Virginia's back in the top 10 after being in Omaha. Clemson's in the top 10 after being a number four overall national seed in the NCAA tournament. Like this thing just like continues that the top teams last year are the top teams this year. And I really don't think it's us being lazy. Like I, I actually think that it's just the way it is. And, you know, maybe that's a transfer portal thing. Maybe it's a NIL thing. I, I think it's really just like these teams are operating at a really high level. And so even when you lose some of the top players, you know, if you're Virginia and you lost Kyle, Kyle Teal, uh, it's a really significant loss. But then you have somebody waiting in the wings. And and I think all of the, the high level teams uh, from a year ago basically have uh, pretty successfully pulled that off this year. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and going through teams seven, eight, nine, and 10, um, you, you, we can extend that further even to AM, South Carolina. But rounding out the top 10, you said it. No one, no one sat around and just kind of, you know, waited for the season to come around. You can't do that if you want to be a successful team and, and go to the College World Series. But like you said, even teams like Vanderbilt dipped into the portal. Um, they brought in Sawyer Hawks, and I don't know why I'm blanking on his name, Jaden Davis from Samford, who had a great freshman year. Tennessee went out and got uh, Billy Amick and, and Nate Sneed and Cannon Peebles. Uh, Clemson brought, you know, they returned that duo of Will Taylor and Cam Canarella, but they got a few veteran guys in the portal, a couple of arms. Um, UVA also, when you talk about waiting in the wings, Ethan Anderson is one of the best pure hitters in the ACC. He will now step in behind the plate for Teal. And while he won't bring that, the defensive prowess that Teal did um, it's that that's hard to replace um, production wise, he should be able to go toe to toe. And then with A&M it's, he, they brought in arguably the best transfer in the country in, in two way player, Braden Montgomery. So all these teams, um, they went out and, and, and reloaded and, and they're ranked where they are for a reason. Some teams that are a little more unfamiliar, though, like if you if you scroll far enough, you'll find them. <laughs> um, and I, I think most notably, we're talking about Iowa and Northeastern. Iowa comes in as the Big Ten favorite. They have not won the Big Ten in more than 30 years. Uh, Peter mentioned, though, that they might have the best rotation in the country, certainly by pure stuff. Uh, you can make that argument right now. We'll see how it uh, turns out in reality. But if we were to rank just on pure stuff. Iowa honestly might be number one, even over Wake Forest. Uh, Brody Brecht is, uh, you know, hitting triple digits. Marcus Morgan has incredible pure stuff and Cade Obermuller, uh, also really impressive. Uh, they all have control issues. How well they throw strikes is going to matter, uh, when it comes time to, hit Iowa against top teams. But in the Big Ten, uh, I think that they can pretty well, you know, do what they did last year. Like they they were right there at the top of the Big Ten standings. Uh, I really like them offensively. I, I think Iowa is uh, is one of the most intriguing teams in the country, in part because they are, they're a little weird, you know, like, again, this is a, Rick Heller has done really well 
with Iowa during his tenure, but he has not won a Big Ten regular season title, and the program hasn't won one uh, since the early '90s. Uh, so it's uh, the the Hawkeyes could be one of the better stories. The Big Ten occasionally produces one of these. Um, you know, they they have some teams with some really lengthy droughts because the Big Ten oftentimes has been controlled by like Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio State. Uh, but this year, uh, Iowa is uh, lo- looks like a breakthrough team coming out of the Big Ten. Yeah, and I think it, at this point, they're one of the trendiest. Omaha, I, I guess you could call them a sleeper just because they play out of the Big Ten. Um, Omaha sleeper picks at this point, and rightfully so. You talk about the rotation. It doesn't stop there, though, for the Hawkeyes. It's not like they've got these three unbelievable weapons, and then it's like, well, you know, we just got to throw caution in the wind and hope everyone else takes a big step forward. Um, they return a, a pretty vaunted crop of hitters. I really like Sam Peterson. And then you've got also Michael Seegers, Raider Tello, massive first baseman. Iowa, in terms of the sheer physicality and size of first baseman, I'd, I'd love to see a team go toe-to-toe with Iowa because they went from Peyton Williams, who was 6'5", probably 250, now to Blake Guerin, who is, I believe, listed at 6'7", 245 I could be wrong but an absolute mountain of a man and then they brought in a again like when you talk about underrated transfers I think they've got two they've got Davis Kopp former Utah catcher at 300 last year with 10 home runs he'll factor in somewhere to the lineup whether it's DH or catcher and then also Anthony Watts from Creighton who had an excellent fall I know the staff's really high on him you could deploy him in a number of ways, whether it's in the back end of the rotation or as an innings eater out of the bullpen or a late inning guy. They have versatility. They have experience. Uh, I think that they're going to be able to handle the noise and handle the pressure really well with kind of the the quartet of veterans they've got in the lineup. Like it is not just a pitching centric team. And I, in looking towards the end of the year, if they have a premature exit, I think the the one thing that you could point to um, is if the pitching just didn't throw, you know, as you said, if they didn't throw enough strikes, if, if kind of walks and, and these minus counts bit them in the butt a little bit, but man, if they do, they are going to be one really, really tough team to, to beat in this series. And we saw it last year and we see it every year in the tournament, you need depth to, to kind of work, to be able to get your way through a regional, a super regional um, to be able to handle five games in a regional or three in a super, um, they've got it. So I, they're going to be a really, really exciting team to watch. They play some good teams out of the gate. That's going to be a good litmus test for them. Um, and maybe a barometer of where they stand right now. But, uh, the, I, I'm very fired up to watch the Hawkeyes. Now, uh, looking at Northeastern, I'm just going to kind of see the floor to you, our, uh, resident Boston, <laughs> uh, well, one of, one of baseball's Americans, uh, Bar- baseball America's resident Bostonians. What, uh, what do we got on the Huskies? This is a team that with Mike Sirota in center field, a potential top 10 pick is, is obviously notable just from that standpoint, but it goes far beyond him. And, and there's a reason why they're the favorites in the CAA this year. Yeah, I I love 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 the Huskies. And from last year's tournament team, last year in the going into the tournament, I believe that both of us talked about and this was before the Field of 64 was released. So, we didn't even know that they would earn an at-large bid at that point, but in talking about them as a potential at-large team, we were talking about them even last year as someone that 
that could make some noise or, or surprise a team. Um, unfortunately, they got sent to the buzzsaw that was the, <clears throat> excuse me, Winston-Salem Regional, where, you know, that's home of Wake Forest and also Big Ten champion Maryland. So tough draw. But from, from that team, they returned four of its five most productive hitters. <clears throat> excuse me. Two-thirds of the weekend rotation. And then a number of key bullpen arms. Like you said, it it starts with Sirota. He's a legit five tool five tool guy. Could be the highest draft pick in program history. Uh, Carlos Pena, who was drafted tenth overall, is the current highest overall draft pick. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. Cam Alonado, who will be joining Sirota in the outfield, uh, he was the twenty twenty three CAA Rookie of the Year. He hit three fifty four. He led the team in hitting and also swiped thirty two bags. And then you've got two experienced guys. Uh, who will bring uh, plenty of power prowess to the middle of the order in Alex Lane and Tyler McGregor. Lane last year led the team with 58 RBIs. Uh, McGregor hit over 300 and led the team with 18 home runs. Uh, a guy to watch, I think, um, is Harrison Feinberg, the third outfielder of the Sirota-Maldonado tr- uh, duo, trio, however you want to word that. Super physical kid, big time bat speed, upside with power upside, um, strong throwing arm. I think that he could be in line for a step forward in production. And then on the mound, it's a ton of experience. It's a ton of strike throwing. It's guys that really, really know how to pitch. Even Cabral was outstanding last year. He'll anchor the rotation again. Wyatt Scotty is a super experienced strike thrower, scattered just 13 walks in 76 innings. And then Gigliotti, Jake Gigliotti last year, split time between the bullpen and rotation, uh, but he was a perfect 8-0 with a 3.24 ERA. He'll round out the rotation. Nothing he throws is straight. Velo is not a Velo is not the trademark of this staff. It's the pitchability, and these guys all, as I said, they all really know how to pitch. Nothing Gigliotti throws is straight. He attacks from a tough, low three-quarter slot. And then I think in the bullpen, they get back a serious weapon in in junior right-hander Dennis Collar, and he is a super physical kid, has a lethal bowling ball sinker, sweeper, slider combination. Sinker's been up to 97, 98. Slider, super sharp sweeping motion. Um, that's a plus pitch. And then I think two guys to keep an eye on it, who will be in line for bigger workloads are James Quinlivan and Will Jones. Uh, they logged just, I think over 22 combined innings last year. Um, but over the summer, Jones especially was excellent. He was, he had a two, five ERA in the NECBL with 37 Ks in 28 innings. And they had a really good appearance on the Cape, um, in which he threw three and a third shutout innings and struck out seven. And then Charlie Walker is another guy to keep an eye on sophomore right-hander. Um, the, it's a really well-rounded team. It's hard to, even for as good as the CAA is going to be this year, I think with UNCW, obviously College of Charleston will be competitive. Of course, Campbell now joining the conference. They are always a really, really good club. They're the CAA favorites. If Assuming that Northeastern makes the tournament, and I really hope selfishly that they do, um, and as long as they don't get sent to the regional death again this year, um, that's a team you talk about depth, experience, star power with Sirota. They've got the ingredients to, to make a college world series run. And again, you can only be so much of a dark horse being a top 25 team, but 
Um, they are a they are a, a legit dark horse being a mid major conference team, uh, a northeast team. Um, they're it, it's going to be a very fun year, I think, in Brookline. This is actually the first time they've ever been ranked, which I was surprised about uh, because they've been such a quality program under Mike Lavin, but apparently they've never quite been able to crack the top 25 before. So this is uh, this is a first uh, from that standpoint. And then, yeah, I mean, it, it has the potential to be I mean, a, a really special season uh, for for the Huskies. Peter, let's uh, let's finish this one off. This question. Who didn't? make the top 25 that you like the most. And, you know, we, we could go a number of different ways with this. Let's, I'll just take off uh, some big names that like you and I kind of agreed on that just didn't quite make the cut. Uh, Alabama and Indiana both were like, if we ranked to 30, there's no doubt that we would have put them in the the top 30 and probably Dallas Baptist as well. I, I think, think I can say DBU, Alabama and Indiana are like three of the first four or five teams out. If they're not the first, the exact first three out Indiana, interested to see what they can do on the mound, but, uh, definitely, uh, a rival to Iowa at the top of the big 10, uh, Alabama coming off of that super regional new head coach and Rob Vaughn, some changes. I'm a little more skeptical than some about how they'll, you know, just, it's a, there's so much new there, but there is no shortage of talent. And then DBU is DBU. I mean, like that's, <laughs> that's one of the most consistent programs out there. I think they could be really good again this year and, and they are the the conference USA favorites. So, uh, setting those teams aside, Peter, who, who didn't make it? that you wanted in. Okay. While you were phrasing the question, two teams came to mind and one, I was surprised you did not mention out of the gate. So I will, I will go with them and it's UC Santa Barbara, the gauchos out in the big West. Um, I think the hashtag Chomaha uh, could be making a return this year, but again, like I think that this is the best rotation in college baseball that is, is not talked about nearly enough. And it's going to start with Matt Ager, top two round guy. And then you've got Mike Gutierrez. He's a, a strike throwing lefty with a good mix of secondary offerings. They get Ryan Gallagher back, um, who was excellent in 2022. Um, he was eight. No, he missed all of last year due to an injury, um, but he was the big West freshman pitcher of the year in 2022. And then the fact that they are going to be able to trot out a guy like Tyler Bremner, as their midweek starter or however they want to use him, if they want to use him more frequently, whether it's in a relief role, but if he ends up being the midweek starter, he's going to be one of the best midweek guys in college baseball. He's got a big time riding fastball. That's been up to 98, a sweeping slider. That's looked really good. And then also in the bullpen, they have one of the best relievers in the country um, in Hudson Barrett, like Gallagher was in 2022 Barrett in 2023 He's the Big West Freshman Pitcher of the Year, 1-9 ERA, 82 Ks. He's a strike thrower, um, and then he's also got a plus changeup to boot. But like similar to Iowa in, in how good their pitching is, they've also got some bats. UCSB isn't all – it's not a pitching-centric club. Um, they returned six of their top seven leading hitters, um, including Ivan Bredauer, body comp Aaron Judge, big-time raw power, hit 311 with 11 jacks. And then also they've got Aaron Parker back who had over 320. 
um, with over 20 extra base hits. And then I, I love their left side of the infield with Corey Nunez and, and Xander Darby Nunez slick fielding guy, love the actions at shortstop. He's a pro level shortstop without a doubt. Um, and if his production can take a little bit of a step forward, that's going to make this team even more dangerous. And then Xander Darby at third, really like Darby's an above average defender. Good, good ability, good hit ability with the bat. Um, and then also looking further down the lineup, Latre McCollum hit 300 last year. He was, but he, he lit the world on fire in the West coast league. Like I could just go on and on about this club. Like they're going to roll out a big time rotation. They've got weapons in the bullpen and this lineup is, is six or so deep and right there with UC Irvine um, in the big West, like they're going to be able to go toe to toe with the anteaters. And I think, you know, they, they've, they've been to Omaha before. And I mentioned the hashtag Chomaha, but in all seriousness, like, um, I, I am really, really excited about what the Gauchos are going to be able to do this year and the type of upside that they have, because it is college world series type upside. I hate that I've become like the UCSB hater, uh, in college baseball, <laughs> because like, I, I really like them. I just am more convicted about UC Irvine. That's why we have UC Irvine ranked. Uh, you heard how convicted Peter is about UCSB. And then you consider that like we ranked Irvine and not UCSB. So imagine how convicted I am about Irvine this year. But like the, the, I mean, UCSB is really good. And I just have been like living in this world where I have to like make the case for UC Irvine, which by the way, returns literally everyone from its lineup a year ago, plus gets Woody Hayden back, who is their everyday shortstop in 2022 and missed last season due to injury. Oh, and gets its Friday starter back. Like the answer is they're both probably good. Uh, But like just living in that, like I need to like make the case for UC Irvine world. Like I have probably like picked too many nits uh with ucsb so yes ucsb again if we ranked to 30 i bet we would have found a found a way to rank ucsb for sure but like to your sorry to to your point though like it's not a slight against against irvine at all like they're they're rightfully ranked like you mentioned they return basically all of its production from last year nick pinto's gonna lead the rotation riley kelly has the stuff to be a serious dude if he puts it together like i mean they're they're where they should be um, but in any event, who is your, uh, I guess, Omaha sleep, not Omaha sleeper, but I guess just missed team that missed our hypothetical top 30. So yeah. So I actually will go a little more on the Omaha sleeper end. Cause at this point we've named four teams that are just off the edge. And like, frankly, I think that those four are probably the right four. And then from there, I don't know, like we didn't really talk about this team and I bet if I had brought them up again, in a hypothetical top 30 scenario, you might've been like, I don't know about that, Teddy. (laughs) So I'm going to say West Virginia, which is my official Omaha sleeper. And like, you could come up with other teams that we should rank before we should rank West Virginia, like Troy or Southern Miss or UConn, or, you know, I can keep going for a little bit, but like the point is I do really feel, feel really good about West Virginia, even if they're not quite top 25 level right this moment. Uh, And it starts with J.J. Weatherholt, because how could it not? You're talking about uh, the Big 12 Player of the Year a season ago, the NCAA batting champion, an All-American, the potential number one overall pick in the draft. Like the dude hit 449 and he plays in the Big 12. And uh, like, 
a power conference player hitting 449 i it, it just, it, that doesn't happen. He has speed. He stole 36 bags. He has power. He hit 16 home runs. Like he just does everything. And so that's a really great place to start. I think they have some depth in the lineup beyond him. Like it's not just the JJ Weatherholt show offensively, uh, which is important. And then the bigger issue with West Virginia, the reason why nobody's ranking them, why I'm going out on more of a limb talking about them this way is because they lost what they lost on the mound. Like Blaine Traxwell and Ben Hampton were two really good starters for them a season ago, and they're gone. So what West Virginia has is a little more of a question mark. I really like the arms, though. Uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna move Aiden Major from the bullpen to the rotation. He has he he has a power arm. They brought in a couple transfers. Uh, they have Chase Meyer, a really talented freshman coming in. Like, I think they have the right pieces. I don't know exactly how to fit them together. I don't know that they know exactly how to fit them together, but I think it can be done. And then further adding to all of this, this is Randy Mazie's last season. He's retiring at the end of the year after 12 seasons at West Virginia. He has done so much to bring West Virginia baseball, like back to the forefront. I, I, Everyone's going to be motivated there. Everyone's going to be playing for him for their last season. And I just think a lot of things are coming together where this season could be a really good year for them. The Big 12 is relatively open. Like we talked about TCU. We think Texas is going to be quite good. After those two teams, though, there is there's an opening. Like Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, they are good teams, but they are not like I, I do think there's a bit of a gap between TCU and Texas and the rest of the group. So there's room for West Virginia to be good in there, to take some time to figure out who they are. And then by April, you know, be playing at, at full force. And usually West Virginia does take a little bit of time. That's part of being a Northern team. I don't expect them to hit the ground like running in February, but I do think by the end of the season, this is a team that's going to be in the mix uh, somewhere in the top half of the Big 12, certainly in the NCAA tournament mix. Uh, and then I, I think that you put them in a tournament setting. I don't think anybody's going to want to see them. Yeah, I, I really like that you brought them up because obviously, you know, the Big 12, as you mentioned, it is TCU and Texas and then kind of everybody else, at least looking at it uh, in the as a from a preseason perspective. But I, I think that you brought up a great point where, this could be kind of the TCU of last year, so to speak, where they're kind of waiting in the weeds a little bit. Um, they're playing quality, not necessarily world-beating baseball. And then all of a sudden you look up in April, May, early June, whenever it is, and they're one of the hottest teams in the country. They have that kind of talent. And it's hard not to, with a when you mention as a hitter like J.J. Weatherholt, probably the most complete um, offensive profile in the country. Um, and my favorite to go one, one right now, but any, anyways, uh, grand Hussey as the guy that writes the guardians chapter in the handbook, like take JJ Weatherhold, make my life easy. (laughs) (laughs) But, but like they have, and you've mentioned all these guys, um, already, but I think that they are like, they're a prime team to, to get hot at, at the perfect time. And you look up and they are kind of that underdog dark horse team in Omaha. And I think if these pitchers can take a step forward, um, especially Switalski, who is a transfer from Gardner Webb, um, if Aiden Major can handle a starting role, that's going to be really big. Hayden Cooper, 
um, from Southern Illinois, Edwardsville had a really good fall. Chase Meyer might have the best stuff on the staff. If he can throw strikes, it's going to really help. Um, you mentioned that it's, it's going to be tough to replace guys like Blaine Traxel, Ben Hampton, Carlson Reed. Um, but they, they did go out and reload and they brought in weapons. I think an underrated guy right now is D2 transfer Derek Clark for formerly of Northwood university, small little lefty at five, eight. Um, but he is a workhorse innings eater type of guy. He'll give you five to seven or even more innings, probably every start. Um, strike thrower knows how to get guys out. I it's a very, very interesting club. And, and offensively too, you look up and down the lineup. Yes. They've got Weatherholt. Um, they've got a key transfer um, in Reed Chumley who hit over 390 last year, but there are some upside plays in there who could take that next step, particularly Logan Suave, Ellis Garcia, Skylar King. Those three guys are fun players as well. So the ingredients are certainly there for a for a CWS run in in Coach Maisie's last season. It would be an incredible story if uh, if it went down that way. But I, regardless, they are in a position to have have a really nice season and send him out in uh, in a deserving way, considering what um, what he's done in, in terms of building that program. And I, I'll be. I'll be watching closely. Everyone's going to be watching closely because of Weatherholt. Uh, but I, I do think that there's more than just like the super talented player who I, this year is going to be at shortstop uh, last year was second baseman, but it, it goes much beyond Weatherholt. If, if you tune in to watch him like great, be excited about that, but the rest of the team is going to be worth watching as well. This is not uh, a one man band by any means. All right, that's a podcast. Uh, we uh, we ran through the top twenty five. We uh, have way more over on the website. You can see the 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 team capsule uh, breakdowns for all t- of the twenty five teams, not just the teams that we mentioned here today. Uh, you can read through all of those as you're as you're getting ready for uh, for opening day. Uh, we've got conference previews rolling out. We've got all Americans. There's plenty to check out over at baseballamerica.com. So I'd encourage you. Uh, to do so, you can uh, also follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. And uh, make sure to subscribe to the Baseball America podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave a review if you can. We appreciate that very much. And as we're getting going this this spring, it's uh, we, we hope you are going to be along for the ride uh, with, with Peter and me as we... Uh, as we talk through the the college baseball season all the way uh, to Omaha. So for Teddy or for Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.